Well, if you will open up to Joshua chapter 14, that's where we're going to be today. So we are at the end of our calendar year. Today is New Year's Eve, and I know for a lot of you, you're thinking about the year that has passed. You're maybe thinking about the year that is coming, and so it's an interesting time to be uh, thinking through what to preach on a day like this. So um, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about one of my favorite biblical characters, historical characters, Um, because... You know, today is a day where we need to look back but also look forward, and I think that there's a good opportunity for us here today to do that. Um, Next week, we'll start up in Matthew again. We'll be in Matthew 21, back into our Matthew routine, but today is going to be a standalone. So I want to talk about history for a second. I like history. Um, Some of you do as well, and some of you, maybe you got a little upset that we're going to be talking about history. And so... um, you know, we hear, the, we hear the, the phrase, those who forget history are doomed to repeat it. Um, it might be a little simplistic, um, but it is true. We can learn something from history. And there's no better history book than our Bibles. And so today we're going to look at that. Now, when, when people think about history, a lot of times it's see what these people did and see how dumb it was and don't do that, Right? The best one, of course, is making sure you never get involved in a land war in Asia. You know, that's something you can learn from history or from the Princess Bride, whichever one you want to get it from. Maybe you take someone like George Washington, and you go, he's a man of virtue, he's a man of self-sacrifice, and so history teaches us that we need to be like George Washington. Or maybe it's don't be like Captain Smith. Now, who's Captain Smith? Well, he's the captain of the Titanic, that when he heard there were icebergs, he said, full steam ahead, thus leading to a three-hour movie and Leonardo DiCaprio dying when he could have fit on the door, right? I mean, those of you that saw the movie, you know, Rose is on the door. They could have both got on there. Anyway, we chuckle and we laugh a little bit about it, and I want to apologize to all of you who had history teachers who didn't teach history very well and maybe taught it as, ooh, here's a bunch of stories and you need to be like these people. And you're going, there's no way I can be like somebody who was born 2,000 years ago. No way I can be like somebody who fought in the Revolutionary War. There's no way I can fill in the blank. Unfortunately, history um, is taught poorly because people have learned history poorly. And we take that same view and we apply it to our Bibles. The Bible is not a book of, hey, these are people to be like, right? You know, don't, don't, don't open up your Bible and say, go and do likewise, and then turn to Judas hanged himself, right? You know, that's the kind of the classic trope that pastors use about randomly opening your Bibles and doing whatever is in there. But we need to understand there's more to it than that. Right? History is hard to understand. The Bible is hard to understand unless we read it rightly. When we read the Bible as a list of people to be like, it puts an incredibly high standard on each and every one of us. It puts us in a place where we have to try to muster up things. And when we don't measure up, that leads to depression. It leads to, hey, maybe this God of the Bible doesn't know what he's talking about. Maybe the Bible doesn't have the answers. Here's a good example of that. Many of you know the story of David and Goliath. Goliath, the big, tall giant from the Philistines, and David, the little shepherd boy, right? And David comes in while all the soldiers are cowering and can't go out and fight him. Even the king Saul himself, who was the tallest man in Israel, he was a big, strapping man, but yet little David goes out and kills the giant. So what do we learn from that story? Well, the bigger they are, the harder they fall, right? Or maybe it's you have faith in God and he will allow you to conquer your giants. Well, that may be true, but is that the point of the story? Like history, many times we take the Bible and we make it into this, this is what I need to do, and if I do this, here's my three steps, and I'll be like whoever. I'll be like Elijah. I'll be like Moses. I'll be like David. In fact, David's story is actually a part of a bigger story, and it's the story of the entire Bible. Yes, it's 66 books, 
And yes, there's an Old and a New Testament, but the entire Bible is to be read with Christ in mind. So instead of looking at David and going, how can I be like David and beat the Goliaths in my life? Instead, we need to look at David and go, how is David foreshadowing Jesus? How is he showing us this? See, the story of David and Goliath is not you can kill your giants as long as you, you know, trust in the Lord. No, the point of the Israelites' story with David and Goliath is that the Israelites can't beat Goliath. David can't beat Goliath. They need a substitute. And to teach Israel that they needed a substitute, they brought the smallest boy with the weakest weapon against the strongest man with the most advanced weaponry of his time. See, God loves to use weakness to show his strength. Haven't we seen that? We just came out of Christmas, right? God entered into the world through his mom, through a human, through Jesus. So David becomes Israel's champion redeemer. So when we read the Bible, we have to read it one of two ways. There's the right way, and then there's the wrong way. The right way is it's about Christ. Now, I don't see Christ in everything, like, oh, there's a piece of wood. That must mean the cross. That's not how we do it. But what we don't do is we don't read the Bible and go, well, this is me. I, I'm, it's all about me, right? That's not what this is about. If I read David and Goliath as giving me an example, then I am the focus of the story. If I am to survive the giants in my life, I have to be stronger. I have to have more faith. But if we read something like David and Goliath and so see that it's basically showing me that my salvation is through Christ, then the story is about him. And until I see the story rightly, I won't see that Jesus fought the real giants, not Goliath, but sin and death for me. And so since he beat the giants, no matter how big the thing is in my life, he will defeat it in my life. He will give me the strength to fight the giants of disappointment and failure and criticism and hardship and suffering. For example, if you want to fight the giant of failure... How are you going to do that if you believe God has abandoned you? Instead, you see, Christ didn't stop his loving of you when it got hard, and he pushed all the way through the cross for you. And so you are not alone, and you are not defined by your failures. Instead, you are defined by Christ and his sacrifice for you. How about criticism? The giant of criticism. We have to just, oh, I've got to forgive that person. That person is terrible. Oh, I've got to forgive you, right? That's what it's like if we do it in our own strength. But when we see it rightly through God's word, we see Jesus forgave me of this way greater thing, and he will give me the strength and the power to forgive this little teeny thing. Because that's how the Bible works. This entirety of the Bible is to point to Christ, either back to him, the New Testament, or forward to him, the Old Testament. It's all about Christ. So today, the person we're going to be looking at is Caleb, the story of Caleb. This is somebody, maybe you, as you were reading through the Bible, you saw him in a couple different places. Today, I want to paint a picture of his life. So that's what the first about half of our sermon is going to be, is really kind of a biography of Caleb. And then we're going to look at well, what does that mean for us? Like how do we not moralize this and just go be like Caleb and fight harder? What do we have to do to get this rightly? So let's talk about Caleb. I'm going to let Caleb have the first word. So if you look at Joshua chapter 14, this is late in Caleb's life, and it, starting in verse 6. Then the people of Judah, that's Caleb's tribe. He's from the tribe of Judah, same as Jesus came to Joshua at Gilgal. This is right after they have conquered Jericho and Ai. They're just entering the promised land. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden 
shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses. Well, Israel walked in the wilderness, and now, behold, I am this day 85 years old, and I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then for war and for going and coming. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord has said. Then Joshua blessed him. He gave, him Hebr- gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. Therefore Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel." So this is Caleb kind of recounting his story. So I want to go back and point out a couple of things in his story. But first, let's kind of set the stage for Caleb. In the Bible, names mean something, right? And so you want to have a name that's something encouraging, something, you know, out there. Caleb's name means dog, as in a dog, right? Now, at first glance, you go, that's a terrible name. It's like trash can was taken, and so we called you dog, right? Uh, I love dogs, but you're not going to want to call somebody a dog, except for what are dogs known for? They're known for being faithful to their masters. Caleb was a picture of what it means to be dogged, which is stubborn and tenacious. Charles Spurgeon says that another way to translate it is his name means all heart, As in, his heart is fully devoted to the thing that he loves, which is very fitting for the Caleb we see here. So where was Caleb born? Well, Caleb was born in Egypt, which means he was really lucky to be alive because he's the same age as Moses, and what was Pharaoh doing to those Hebrew boys? He was killing them. So he's lucky to be alive. He lived 38 years as a slave in Egypt, and then he leaves with the Israelites. He marches through the Red Sea on dry land. He sees the Red Sea collapse and destroy Pharaoh's army. He sees Moses go up on Mount Sinai. And now they're standing at the edge of the promised land. Caleb is chosen as the spy to be sent in from the tribe of Judah. This is what it says in Numbers 13. At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them of, and all the congregation, showing them the fruit of their land. Earlier in, chat, in verse 23, it says they had a cluster of grapes that were so big they had to have a branch between two men carrying it, as if they were carrying like a gigantic pig. The Israelites wouldn't have done a pig, but you know, a, a gigantic feast between two, um, two men carrying it on a stick. It says that they, got, they brought giant pomegranates and figs galore, right? Verse 27, they told him, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey. In one of my kids' books, it says it flows with honey milkshakes. And that's kind of probably even more fun than the milk and honey. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Now, Anak is the name of the, 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 the leader of the giants. They get, they're known as the Anakim. And so these would be gigantic men, descendants of the Nephilim, which we can talk about in, afterwards if you want to know all about giants. Verse 30, Caleb quieted the people down, and he said, let us, and this, get this, so, so Caleb has just come out, and the people are grumbling, and Moses is standing there, and he goes, hold on a sec, Moses, I'm going to talk to the people. Let us go up at once and occupy it for we are well able to overcome it. So Caleb is like, they may be big, but we're going to go take them out because we've got God. Then the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. And so they brought to the people a bad report of the land that they had been spied out. The land through which we have gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants. Some people think that maybe that devours means they actually ate people, all right? The Anakim giants were known for eating people. And all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there were Nephilim there. And we seemed like grasshoppers to them. And he's absolutely right. It's a a violent place. Canaan had been judged by the Lord because of its evil. 
had been judged by the Lord because of its child sacrifice and its cannibalism and all the other things. And Israel literally was like grasshoppers. But the thing is, they'd forgotten that the Lord was with them. A little bit farther on in Numbers 14, then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the assembly. And Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to them, that means they're really angry, they tore their clothes, and said to the congregation, the land which we pass through to spy out is exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us. A land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them. The Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And I like, again, Caleb and Joshua saw it rightly. And then look what the people did in response. Verse 10. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. But the glory of the Lord appeared. So the glory of the Lord appeared. The people are scared. God is here. And Moses goes to speak with the Lord. And he comes back and he says, The Lord has spoken. Everyone over the age of 20 is going to die in the wilderness, and then we will enter the promised land. The Lord decides is that all the Israelites will die with the exception of Moses, who eventually disobeys the Lord and doesn't get in, and Joshua and Caleb. The Lord says this about Caleb, but my servant Caleb, this is Numbers 14, 24, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring him into the land into which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. So let's just understand the picture here. So he is 40 years old. He's just gone on a spying trip into the promised land. He comes back. The other 10 spies say, oh, this is bad. The people of Israel, including his own tribe, they moved to stone him because he gave a positive report and because he said the Lord will bring, this, bring us into this land. And then the Lord says, I'm going to judge them. And every single one of them is going to die. At this point, for the next 40 years, Israel wanders in the wilderness. They are vagabonds. They're moving around from place to place. And during this time, every single member of Joshua's family, every single member of Joshua's friend, friend group passes away. And yet Caleb and Joshua live. Caleb buried all of his friends and his family. Imagine watching all of your friends die and know that you will outlive them. I know for some of you that's not too hard to imagine. But Caleb lived for four decades longer than the people he had grown up with, knowing that the Lord would keep his promises and that him and Joshua would not die. Now, you think about that. You think about being um, on the, the other side of 80 and looking back and realizing there's no one even over the age of 20 yet, 40 yet. There's a big age difference here between the two. I think that's kind of interesting to note. So let's go back to what, what Caleb was saying in Joshua 14. You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God? I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea, and I brought him word again as it was in my heart. So right from the start, we see Caleb says, you know what the Lord said. He's going right back to, the, to what God has told him. You know what the Lord said. Now what has the Lord said? The Lord has said from the start, this is your land. I'm going to give it to you. It's your land. I'm going to give it to you. Caleb knew that. He knew it in his heart, it says in verse 7. Verse 8, but my brothers went up with me, made the heart of the people melt, yet I wholly followed the Lord. That holy following the Lord thing is not just something that he says about himself. The Lord had just said that about him. See, God goes, Caleb's following me holy. So Caleb's not bragging on himself. He's saying, this is what the Lord has said about me. He says the Lord is his God and that he wants to follow him. He calls on the promise of God. In Joshua 1, verse 3, it says, Every place that your foot will tread I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. See, Moses died outside of the promised land, and Joshua is leading them in. So Caleb wholly follows the Lord. There is devotion here. Sometimes, you know, when, when we follow the Lord, you have to stand alone. And we see that here with Caleb. Not only did Caleb and Joshua stand alone from the other ten spies, but they stand alone in the nation of Israel. 
Moses and Caleb and Joshua are themselves the only three that are following God at this point. The Apostle Paul understood this. In 2 Timothy 4, he says, At my first offense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against him. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through my message might be proclaimed fully, fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it. Again, when you stand for the Lord like Caleb, you might be standing by yourself. We also see that Caleb grounded his, his ideas, his truth, in God's foundation. Caleb's faith is based on God's word. Many times we try to base what we think is right on our feelings. We try to base it on what sounds good to us. Sometimes we even say, I'm going to have faith in my own faith. We forget that great faith is not needed. What's needed is genuine faith, faith in God. It's not so much great faith in God as having faith in a great God. Caleb is a pattern for us. We're to look to Caleb and see the picture of what we are to do. We are to wait on the Lord, or to wait in hope. Verse 10, and now behold, the Lord has kept me alive. Caleb goes, it's not my workout regiment. I didn't keep my New Year's resolution. I didn't avoid the trans fats and the high fructose corn syrup. He says, it's the Lord that kept me alive. And you all need to recognize that. If you're going to live through this year, it's nothing you're going to do because of New Year's. It's nothing you're going to do at the gym. It's nothing you're going to do because a doctor told you. It's because the Lord is going to keep you here. And he's going to keep you here for a reason. The Puritans used to say, we are immortal until our work on earth is done. If you're here today and you're breathing and you're hearing me, your work's not done. You have work to do. Caleb understood that. He says, I have been here these 45 years. It's because the Lord has kept me here. And just as he said, he kept me alive. He understands what Proverbs 16:9 says. The heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. He understood this. And now behold, verse 10, I am this day 85 years old. I don't know if that means it was his actual birthday or he's just summing, summing it up. This is the way faith looks at things. See, faith looks back at the past, not to go, oh man, that was terrible. But faith looks back at the past and goes, look at how the Lord brought us through. Yeah, it's probably not the way we would have picked it. It's probably not the way we would have planned it. But praise be to God, we didn't do it that way. Who knows the problems we would have brought up if we'd have gotten what we'd wanted. Instead, we, he looks back to the past and he ponders it. And he goes, look at how the Lord brought us to where we are now. And that Lord in the past who is faithful is the same Lord that I have now in my life. This takes God's goodness and responds with gratitude and finds grace for the next trial. Verse 11, I love this. I am still as strong today as the day that Moses sent me. That was back 40 years earlier. My strength now is as my strength was then for war and going and coming. Now, let me stop here for a second and make sure you understand something. There's a lot of old people in the Bible, and I mean really old, right? 600, or nine, 969 years is the oldest person, all right? Methuselah, okay? In the Old Testament, there's countless people who are old, like hundreds and hundreds of years old. And so you probably are going, well, 85 here is probably a really old 85. No, you need to understand something. After the flood, the ages do this. They go down. And the Lord says in the Bible, man's days are destined to be 120 years. Now, does that mean there's a cap? That means if somebody this year, you know, turns 121, the Bible's wrong. No, what it's saying is, is that's kind of the end. And praise be to God, there is an end, right? We know there's an end to life. We know there's one coming. But here's the thing, an 85-year-old for Caleb is the same as an 85-year-old sitting in this room. And as a matter of fact, Caleb probably lived a lot harder life than you did. No indoor plumbing, no electricity, no drugs, no cars. Caleb walked more in one year than you'll walk in your entire life. And this is the guy who says, I'm ready to fight. And it's not bragging you know, he's not standing up and going, yeah, I'm better than I really am. He actually goes and backs it up. 
in a few minutes, we'll see that he actually goes and fights and defeats the giants. So this 85 years old, what was his secret to vigor? Was it the fountain of youth is somewhere in Israel? No. The secret is, is that he fully followed the Lord. He fully trusted the Lord. Again, the Apostle Paul helps us get this. 2 Corinthians 4.16 So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. This is no idle boast that he's putting out there, that he can go fight, that he's going to rah-rah and get everybody around him. No, he is going to fight the giants, literal giants. And we see this in verse 12. So now give me the hill country which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord has said. So get this, 85 years old and they're divvying up the land and Caleb goes, hmm, you know, I would really prefer to go fight giants in the hills than having the beach house than having a nice riverfront property on the Jordan, or the mountain chalet up on Mount Hermon, or, hey, give me a desert oasis, the dry air. It's really good for my skin, 85-year-old skin, right? Instead of all of those, he says, Lord, where's there some work that I need to go do? Where's there work that needs to be done? I want to go do it. What a testimony. That's just impressive, isn't it? There's a reason why our military is not full of 85-year-olds going to war. But yet, this 85-year-old was different. So what do we do with this? Okay, so now we've got the Caleb story kind of all there. And don't worry, this is not just, hey, everybody 85 and up, you need to pull it together. There's a story here for all of us, from age 5 all the way up. So what do we do with this? Well, it'd be really easy here to be like, be like Caleb. Here are three things you need to do to make yourself more like Caleb. If only you think on these things, you will be like Caleb. Put your mind to this. And that's a very coach thing to do. I like coaching, right? I like the rah-rah speeches, and I really always hope that the last few words I give my players before they go out on the court or on the field are inspiring. But no, they're really not usually. That's not what this is about. This is not a rah-rah, come on. This is a recognize you can't do this. Recognize you are unable to do this. Whether you're 25 or 95, this is an impossible task to be. You cannot be like Caleb on your own. So we need to understand that even as we see Caleb, we cannot be in the same circumstances he is in. But we need to see that there is something about Caleb's life that we can take today. We can see that Caleb is worshiping the same God that we have. He is worshiping the same God. And that God, the same one who parted the Red Sea, the same one who parted the Jordan, the same one who made Jericho's walls follow, fall down, the, the, the same one who brought manna and quail, the same one who rained fire down, is the same God we have today. And he will enable us to follow him if we choose to follow him. And ultimately, our best example of this is not Caleb, it's actually Jesus Christ. And so as we look to Caleb, we look through Caleb to Christ. So what are we to do with this? Well, it's not try harder. What must you do? What is this telling us that we have to do? So let me tell you what I want you to do. And then I'm going to tell you how you can't do it. Okay? So young people, I'm going to say that that's my age because I have the microphone and that's the way it works. Young people my age and younger, or a little bit older than me, we're going to call you the fighters, okay? So part of this story of Caleb is you're a fighter. Those of you who are a little bit older than me, we're going to call you the finishers, okay? So age 0 to 60, you're the fighters. Ages 50 to 120, you're the finishers, okay? Everybody got that? Fighters, finishers. 
Okay. I just don't want to call you young and old. I just I can't do that. So young people, the fighters, what are you called to do? What is the thing you're called to do? Well, you're to fight for Christ. You're to fight the culture. Now, that doesn't mean we actually go to war, and it's not culture warrior, and you're on Twitter, or you're on TikTok, or wherever, and you're just blasting people. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is we're talking about not going with the flow. Every single culture, every single Christian culture, like the one we have in this church, every single Christian group has always had to resist the world. We have had to resist the world. And it's not easy. Fish swimming upstream, it's hard. Dead fish go with the flow. We are to be living. We're to be fighting. We're to stand against the tide of the majority, which means there's going to be times we're going to take stands that are going to cost us something. It might cost us a job. It might cost us our kids. It might cost us a marriage to stand for Christ. But that's where you're at. If you're in the fighter age group, you are out there in the world, you're interacting with the world, there is such a back and forth, and you must stand strong. The church is always one generation away from dying off. You're to keep the generation alive. You're to fight for your kids' souls. You're to fight for their hearts. So that's the fighting that's required. Finishers, those of you who are 50 and older, you must continue to contribute to the church. Just because you're nearing the end of your life does not mean you are not a part of Christ's church. And you have something to offer. See, the thing about it is, we need your wisdom. Us fighters need your wisdom. Yes, our kids have smartphones and yours didn't. But you know what? There's nothing new under the sun. Technology and modes of transportation, those are just things that are the same as they were thousands and thousands of years ago. Teenagers are still teenagers. Even 2,000 years ago, they were teenagers. Junior hires were still junior hires when you had them and when we have them. We need your wisdom because you've seen the long game. You've seen how, yeah, this seems like a really big deal right now, but really it's not a big deal because this. We need your experiences. You've been through it. You've raised kids. You've had jobs. You've lost jobs. You've had family members die. We need your help to get through and to fight. We need you not to waste your time in your months or years before you walk into heaven on something that's not heavenly focused. So that's the small task that I've called you all to today, okay? So fighters, you gotta stand all by yourself with nobody around you. Finishers, you don't get to go into retirement and just lay back, we need you. Now that should sound pretty hard to do. And for some of you, you like the challenge and you're like, I can do this. But I'm gonna tell you, you can't. You cannot do it. Because the world is against you, you're worn out, and without Christ, you'll be exactly where Caleb started. Now let me show you a part of Caleb's story that we didn't cover. I kind of alluded to it, and if you were sly, you might have caught it. But in the Bible, it talks about they go through the Red Sea. What happens next? Moses goes up on Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments. He's up there for a very long time. You guys all know who went with him? Joshua. So Joshua and Moses are up there, right? And then Moses hears a commotion down in the valley. What's going on? The people have melted down their gold. Here's what it says in Exodus. 32, when the people saw that Moses was delayed, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, make up, make up gods for us to go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in your ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf, and they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Now I want you to see in verse 3, it says, So all the people. Who's not included in there? Moses and Joshua. Who's included in there? Caleb. 
So Caleb's first opportunity to follow the Lord, his first opportunity after having witnessed the Red Sea parting, having witnessed the 10 plagues, having seen more miracles than we will see in our lifetime, the first opportunity, he craps out and doesn't do it. He does terrible. And I guarantee you that there, every one of us in this room has done something terrible. But I'm guessing we haven't had God's presence on the top of a mountain and we worship a fake God down in the valley. So this was a pretty big, egregious thing that he did. And yet, the Lord wholly took a hold of his heart. Fighters, if we try to do this in our own strength, we're going to fail. We are not going to be able to stand. Life will drown us out. The constant busyness of having kids, the constant busyness of our culture, and you've got to watch this, and you've got to listen to this, and you've got to do this, and you've got to experience this, will drown it out. Finishers, you've been planning your entire life retirement. The idea of rest is really appealing because you are made for rest in eternity. In both of these situations, the Lord has died for us, and he has provided us with means to survive. Our sin, our sin is taken away. He's also provided us means to thrive where we are. And left to ourselves, we cannot do it. So how do we do it? How do we do this? This is like one of the worst TED Talks ever. If I stand up here and tell you you can't do it, all right, let's pray and be done. No, the answer is, he did it. He did it. Let's look at what the Bible says about the promises of God. 2 Corinthians, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. But it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. See, what, what Christ has done is he has come and not only saved us from our sins, but he saved us from ourselves. He saved us from this world. He saved us from all the things we buy into, which are you can't survive if you don't do this, or you won't really be able to get through it if you don't do that. That's the world's way of doing it. And the Lord says, I have a plan for you, and this is how you do it. So through Christ, you can do it. When it says he wholly followed, this is what the Spirit does. Jesus could have totally come and said, you all need to follow me and do all the things that I've told you to do. And he had every right to do it. But then what does he say? But just you wait. I'm going to send you a what? A helper. I'm going to send you the dynamis, the power. That's what the Holy Spirit comes. No matter what you're up against, no matter your age, the Holy Spirit is the power. Holy followed the Lord. This is said of Caleb six times. The Hebrew word means to close the gap. I love that. It's a word that means that somebody is hunting something else and it's him closing the gap to be able to kill the animal. So that's why our translators don't really translate it that way. But what it means is the gap has been closed. Christ has closed the gap between us and God. And by providing his spirit, he allows his presence to enter our lives fully. The one who kneels before God can stand before anything. What did we talk about a week ago? If the Lord is for us, who can be against us? Nothing will stand in his way. And see, where we struggle with this is we go, well, yeah, okay, Lord, yeah, that makes sense, I'll do it. See what we just did there? Lord, it makes sense to me. I give you my approval, so now we'll do it. What, what happens when the Lord says, I want you to do this thing over here that makes no sense? Are you going to go, well, it doesn't make any sense to me. I'm going to do my own thing. Who's really running your life? You are. Ultimately, if the Lord is running your life and he calls you to do it, he is faithful and just to give you the strength to do it. So fighters, if you're meant to fight, you trust the Lord for the strength to do it, the words to say, the courage to do it. Finishers, it, it, it seems like a lot of work to be able to stand and do things that you feel like you've already done. But the Lord calls you to do it. He will strengthen you to do it. Spurgeon shares this illustration from Queen Elizabeth I. 
She sent a merchant over to Holland. He complained to her, Majesty, if I do your business, my business will be ruined. To which the queen says, If you do my business, I will see to your business. This is the way the Lord does it. He says, Will you be my servant? Because if you are, I will make sure you're taken care of. The Lord doesn't cast his servants out to fend for themselves. He provides for them. All right, so fighters, let's get down to it. What are we to do? We're to fight the good fight. Caleb is saying to Joshua here, you remember how they sneered and they complained about the Anakim? I am going to go march in there with the Lord's strength. If he be for me, I am going to march in there and we're going to conquer them. Precisely the cause that made Israel shrink gave Caleb the passion to assume it. The fact that the the standing for Christ in the darkest portion of our country is going to be hard is all the more encouragement that he is going to do it through you. Because you can't do it. He's called you to do it. So he's going to do it through you. An American shoe company once sent a man to a foreign country. The man arrived and almost immediately cabled back and said, send money, no one here wears shoes. And they said, okay. They brought him back. They sent in a second salesman. Once he got there, he cabled back and said, send me all the shoes you can manufacture. This market is unlimited. No one has a single shoe. See, living in the place that we live is an incredibly difficult task. It is hard to stand for Christ in our part of the country. Caleb's optimism was not in Caleb. His optimism was in God and the power that the Lord gave. Look at Joshua 14, 12. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. Now, why did he hedge his bets? Is he going, well, maybe the Lord won't be with me. No, what he's saying is, if the Lord allows me to live, I'm gonna be undefeated when I walk in with him at my side. And then Joshua 15, according to the commandment of the Lord, he gave Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, a portion among the people of Judah. That is Hebron. Abra was the father of Anak. And Caleb drove out the three sons of Anak. Not just one giant, but three of them and all the descendants. Caleb goes, with God, I'm invincible. With God, I'm immortal until it's my time. This is no surprise because Caleb had listened to Moses preach about this. Look at Deuteronomy 9. Hear, O Israel, you are to cross over the Jordan today to go in and dispossess nations greater and mightier than you, cities great and fortified up to heaven. This is before the spies went, right? So this is, this is Moses telling them what it's going to be like. And people great and tall, the sons of Anakim, who you know and whom you have heard it said, who can stand before the sons of Anak? Now know therefore today that he who goes before you as a consuming fire is the Lord your God. He will destroy them and subdue them before you. You shall drive them out and make them perish quickly as the Lord has promised you. But do not say in your heart after the Lord has, God has thrust them out before you, it is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me out of this land. Whereas it's because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. Not because of your righteousness or uprightness of heart are you going to possess their land, but because of the wickedness of these nations the Lord God is driving out before you. That he may confirm the word that the Lord swore to your fathers, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. In verse 6, know therefore that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stubborn people. Moses calls it right out. He says, you're going to get this land, but it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with the God you serve. The Lord does it. He is the fighter. All you're coming along is you're just in his wake and you're following him. So fighters, you must stand. You must be countercultural. You must be the odd person who, instead of running away from people who are suffering, goes there and cares for them. You are the odd one who sticks with those who are despising you and don't want you, who will throw all sorts of nasty things your way. Fighters, you need to fight. But you're not doing it alone. The Lord is fighting for you. Okay, finishers. 
You need to finish your, finish your race. You need to finish well. See, Caleb trusted the Lord, and so Caleb is saying, I'm 85, and I have nothing different from when I was 40. I am totally there. Look at what the Lord promised in Psalm 71. Justin read it at the beginning. Oh God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O oh God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those who to come. Your righteousness, O oh God, reaches to the heavens. You, now, you who have done great things, O oh God, who is like you? You who have made me see many troubles and calamities will revive me again from the depths of the earth. You will bring me up again. You will increase my greatness and comfort me again. Do you see that? He says, I am not done with my work until all of the next generation know how great you are. And then at the end he says, I will get, the Lord God will give me the strength to do it. So I want you to think, and this goes for you fighters too. Because some of you fighters are getting through the day-to-day -day grind by thinking of your retirement. Some of you finishers are already in retirement. Some of you are getting ready to retire. The question is, is what is that retirement for? Is the retirement the time where we get to sit and be selfish now for the first time in our lives? Or is it a freeing up from all of the responsibilities of a nine to five so that we can do something with our lives that we haven't been able to do? One of the more powerful sermons I ever heard was by John Piper. If you like his theology, you don't like his theology, it doesn't matter. Just get this point. John Piper told a sermon. In this sermon, he told a story of two different groups of people. Two ladies, one was a widow and one was never married both in their 70s, serving in Africa, and they were driving their car as they were going around telling people about Jesus. They were up on the side of a mountain. Their brakes went out. They went over the side. They died. The other two were a, a married couple living in Boca Raton, Florida, had been retired for 15 years. Highlights of their day were collecting seashells. Those two are going to die just like these two are going to die. How do you want to walk into heaven? Lord, there were so many more people. Why did you take us? We could have shared the gospel even more. Or, here's my seashell collection. This is the picture that we see. I'm reminded of C.T. Studs. When life to live will soon be past, only what's done for Christ will last. See, the Bible does not guarantee us an inheritance of peace and prosperity and rest for the end of our lives. Instead, what he guarantees us is that we will have more of him. See, if you're a finisher, you're at the pinnacle, right? You're at the pinnacle. You've reached the end. You're getting closer and closer to walking into the presence of God. You have so many lessons of what it means to follow the Lord for decades. Don't hoard that. Don't keep that to yourself. We need that. Our children need that. Scripture describes that our inheritance is this, Psalm 73. Whom have I in heaven but you? The earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, will fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Lamentations 3. Yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those who hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. So, fighters and finishers, we can learn from Caleb. We can learn what it means to follow wholeheartedly. We can say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That means I can stand when it's hard to stand. I can finish when it seems impossible, that my body's breaking down, things aren't working the way they're supposed to. I can finish through Christ who strengthens me. Why? Because we're saying, he is my treasure. He is my inheritance. He is my all in all. He is all that I need, not this job that I lose because I stand for Christ. 
He is all that I need, not a retirement package with a nice warm area to live in. God is with us, therefore we have nothing to fear. Don't fear what people can do to you. Don't fear what old age can do to you. Instead, trust the Lord. Isaiah 46, God tells us, even in our old age and gray hairs, I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you. I will carry you. I will sustain you. I will rescue you. Psalm 92, the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon, planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green, proclaiming, the Lord is upright. He is my rock. There is no wickedness in me. I want us today to be able to think about what the Apostle Paul ended his life with. His final letter to Timothy, knowing his life was coming to an end shortly, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is a store for me, a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who have longed for his appearing. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. All of this is only possible if you are doing it with Christ. Fight the fight with Christ. Finish the race with Christ. He is our fighter. He is our finisher. He is our provider. All we need to do is trust him and let him be in control. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is true. All we need to do is trust in your word. Not because your word is some magical incantation, but because the God behind it is great. The God behind it is all-powerful. And so, Lord, we claim the promises. Lord, we claim the promises that even when we stand alone, you are standing with us. We claim the promises that even in our old age and our gray hair, you will make us fruitful. Lord, help us to trust in those promises. Lord, let us be those who sell out completely for you, whether we're 20 years old or 90 years old or anywhere in between. Lord, thank you for your son and the purchasing of this in our place. Thank you that it is ours because of him. Now, Lord, we worship you together in song. In your name, amen.